Hey, everybody, I know this is a tricky and uncertain time, and maybe you're thinking you're just one person and there's nothing you can do to help. Well, you're right. You are just one person, but one person can do a lot. And you don't have to even leave the house. Here's what you can do. Support your local bookstore or record store. Look, I know Amazon is the easy way to go. You order stuff, and two hours later, a drone flies into your house with a box of books and a plate of hot pancakes. (laughs) Is that how it actually works? That pancake part is a nice touch. But listen, order your books and your music from your local bookstore and record store. We need them to survive this, and they need you to survive this. So get a stack of stuff to read and listen to and get it all locally. And if you don't have a local bookstore or record store, pick the closest one or pick one like Powell's or Amoeba or a great good place for books in Oakland, and they'll hook you up. You can make pancakes yourself. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Watching cars, darling. Could it be me and you? If it's not, then I'm caught in the cosmic slot that never wants to pull through. Watching the cars, darling. Is it my fault with through? If it is, then the bliss is a cosmic slide that's pulling me away from you. And all my feelings, they feel insecure. You devoured my burn. When you're walking on out my door, don't forget to turn. See, I'll be alright. Yes, I'll get it right well, I just need time to heal mm-hmm. What's in the cars, darling? Well, I don't want to start a new Yes, I'm lost in the cost Is a cosmic slide is melting me down through What's in the cars, darling? A movie that you always knew if you don't, then I'm hoping the cosmic slide can bring me on back to you. And all my feelings, they feel insecure. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Dylan Hardigan. Let me tell you a little bit about Dylan Hardigan. All right, so every child is an artist, Pablo Picasso once wrote. The problem is staying an artist when you grow up. Well, for singer-songwriter Dylan Hardigan, that struggle was decidedly real. But for him, it wasn't about staying an artist. It was about figuring out what kind of artist he wanted to be. A child actor, the New Jersey-born Hardigan was reading scripts and memorizing lines and heading to auditions and taking direction at the early age of six. (laughs) When I was six, I couldn't even remember where I put my jacket But at that young age, Dylan Hardigan was remembering pages of dialogue and growing up pretty fast. He appeared in movies like The Stepford Wives and Funeral Kings, and on television he appeared on Guiding Light, Law & Order, and The Black Donnellys. Dylan had been writing songs and poems ever since he was 14, and as he was getting older, he found he was writing more and more, and musical expression had started to overpower theatrical expression. So, the part I mentioned earlier about staying an artist when you grow up? Well, after going one musical direction, Dylan pivoted a bit 
and decided he wanted to go a totally different way. I'll let him tell you about the dilemmas he wrestled with as he made the decision about what kind of an artist he wanted to be, so let me say this in the meantime about the artist he is now. An exciting one. With a debut album hitting this fall, Dylan Hardigan brings to mind everyone from Ray LaMontagne to Paolo Nutini. He sings with soulful precision and gritty ease. His phrasing is thoughtful, melodic, and poetic, and every number comes with raw, emotional honesty. And he's a hell of a nice guy. So, enjoy this conversation with me and Dylan Hardigan right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. from philosophy class that I took once and I totally failed it in college um, but I learned a couple of things um, I like to kind of approach it from the point of view as I gain experiences through my me and you interaction and my me and nature interaction I, I view there's three types of interactions there's there's me and you which is one of them, which is me interacting with another person or another being on a level of like consciousness. And there's me in nature, which is me interacting with just the world around me, say the trees or lying in the grass or experiencing the sky or just like having a really deep spiritual feeling with breathing that day, you know? Then when I take those experiences and try to transpose them into music, into creating something with those experiences, I dive into the me and me of kind of my interaction on a day-to-day, which is diving inside rather than, than you know, reaching around outside of my body, I guess, is, is the kind of thing, which is where I really start to focus on the, the experiences that I had, yes, but I, I piece them together in my mind that I think is the best way for me to understand them. Well, you don't sound like you failed the class. You sound like you, you actually got it down. Yeah, well, for, you know what, man? Teachers have never liked me. So I think that's just the thing that I have to deal with <laughs> for the rest of my life, never graduating college. <laughs> Look, I am a college professor and I like you. So, oh, Dude, you honestly, thank you because that, means the world to me. I have never had good experiences in school. What is it that, why? I don't understand. You seem like you're like a very plugged in guy. You're very bright. And what, what is it that they, that you think is happening? I really don't know. You know, I have, I have a weird thing kind of going on in my head. It's, it's this, I think it's the system. I don't think it really uh, here's the thing. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always been doing things outside of school that I guess were presented to me as more important things than school. Ah. Like when I, when I was a little kid, I was acting and I like was professionally acting at six years old. So it was like, you know, every day after school, I went into New York City to audition with 10 pages of lines that I had memorized the night before. So it's like, it just never, for me, it was never the number one priority. And I don't think the school system liked that. 
I mean, I, it's not that I don't, they definitely didn't like that. It was like, they didn't, they didn't accept the excuse of, I'm sorry, like I couldn't get it done. I had to memorize 15 pages last night or, or the excuse of, I have to leave school early because I have to go audition for the new Scorsese film. Like they just didn't, I don't know what it was. It, maybe it was just like a, like a butting of heads kind of a thing or, or a not abiding by like the hierarchy system that I think might be placed. Um, but it just, it just never was, it just never worked out for me. So my take on that is, and you, I'm, maybe I'm just ultra progressive as an academic, but my feeling would be, it's awesome that you're doing both. Like I would think, isn't it cool that you're actually not, because some people might just go, well, fuck it. I'm not even going to bother with school. Um, and it's cool that you're actually like doing both disciplines. I think that's cool. All right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> What Wish I, I had you growing up, man. I'm just going to change your transcripts to all A's, Dylan. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I did that once. I went, I went out to California, and I had a tutor, and we just, like, looked at each other after I, like, woke up in the morning. My eyes were bloodshot red, and I was tired because I had been working the entire night. And we just, like, looked at each other, and he was like, I don't think this is going to come back and bite me in the ass because I'm not, like, a freshman in high school anymore. We just looked at each other, and we were like, we'll take it easy. We'll just give you all A's. <laughs> so, so it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear you talk about your, um, your early discipline as an actor. Cause as a six year old, I mean, you know, I've, I've taught tennis in the past. I can't get a six year old to remember, you know, to, to put the racket in the correct hand. Mm. Um, so for you as a six year old memorizing um, lines and, movements and cues has probably certainly prepared you um, discipline wise for a career in music because you obviously have been doing something which has required you to stay focused very early on in your life. Absolutely. And it's, and it's a, and it's a different kind of focus. It's not an immediate, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not, um, I guess like you don't immediately see success from it right like right. I think that's that's the case with most art forms um you don't get an immediate like sense of success in in the broader in like the not in the broader sense of success but in like the sustainable sense um and I think since I've been doing it for such a long time since I was a little kid I kind of have just adapted my mind to be okay with that uh so so yeah, I mean, focusing on it has just been a trait that that I've been used to, and you know, money isn't really a a thing that kind of drives me anymore. Even though it's necessary in life, it's just kind of, you know, doing the best work that I can do. I think is is what really drives me. The I, I call him our head writer uh, on our show is, is my best pal, Michael Charles Roman, who is also on uh, Grace and Frankie. And he's been acting since he was six as well. He's around your age. Um, yep. And he also plays piano beautifully and sings beautifully. And he's sort of a quadruple threat. He, the guy can do anything. Um, wow. For you, when you realize that you um, want to make music, is this something that, you knew you could sing early on or did you find that voice later on in your career? Cause you have a beautiful voice. Thanks man. Um, yeah. Uh, I have not always been able to sing it. 
it was my my brother growing up was an opera singer which is pretty wild um wow yeah he was super super talented so he was always the singer um and i always wanted to be a talented singer but i never was um nor was i a talented musician really until around the age of 14 i don't know what happened man maybe like Maybe it was the whole puberty thing that really kicked in. I mean, that's what I like to tell people, but hell, dude, I don't really know what it was, but I just kind of started singing on pitch, and then I picked up a guitar and started teaching myself, and next thing I knew, I was pursuing a career in music. And writing your own songs. Yeah, yeah, that that was something that I've always done. I have always written stories, though. I haven't always written songs. I've always written stories and poems. I think it stems from all of the scripts and um, kind of lines that I've read ever since I was a little kid. I just, I just really like creating stories. Um, so ever since I was young, I've always written them. And then, and then once I started picking up music, I started rhyming and, and taking those stories and transposing them into, you know, lyrics and figuring out how to build around a song and then I came to the realization that there's structures to songs and then I figured out how to kind of mold the stories into the structures and what parts to tell which part of the story and that whole thing all of that really started to interest me and that's when I that's when I decided I wanted music to be my career because it was just you know how sometimes you're learning something new and it's like every new thing that you have to learn it's like a drag like oh there's like this whole new extension to this that I have to learn oh now I just learned that now I have to learn this and it's like seems like such a drag right for me the art of songwriting and all of the new things that kept popping up and, and learning how to sing and learning how to play guitar all those things excited me and it was one of the first times that experience has happened to me so that was when when I realized you know was it also because you were doing it yourself? In other words, you were completely self-directed. It wasn't though someone was saying, here are six things, here's six pages of dialogue for you to remember. It was all generated from you. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that's very much the case in my younger years. In my younger years, I did have a lot of people kind of guiding me and telling me what to do with art and stuff like that. And, and that to a certain degree kind of dampened my light. Um, so that was never, that was never like, that never made me happy, but it was a case and a situation that I had to deal with for a long time. Um, but then I came out of all of that. I was pretty sure I was done with making music. Uh, this was around like 2021. 20, I was pretty sure I was done with making music and I, I moved back home to New Jersey and I just started writing again like I used to when I was little and then turning them into songs and it was kind of like it rejuvenated that whole kind of ah, moment of, of that breathe in breathe out. What brought you back to Jersey? I was going to go back to college. I was living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn for a while pursuing you know a career in pop rock music and I was going down a pretty slippery slope um and then one really bad night happened that I think a lot of people have that experience where it was kind of like that bottom moment for me I woke up in the morning and I was like yeah this is 
this isn't sustainable. And this also isn't the dude that I was raised to be or the person that I envisioned myself to be, um, or like the guidelines that I had laid out for myself. So I just kind of got up, left, came back to Jersey, moved back home, enrolled back into school, undeclared, and gave that a shot again. And then realized that, no, I'm not, I wasn't doing art for all this stupid stuff that I was doing in Brooklyn. I was doing it because I love it. Um, and then that's, that's what sparked me getting back into it, but like clean and nice and genuine and, and like rooted in the planet and not in money or women or booze and drugs and stuff like that. So you had found you kind of betrayed your own kind of personal ethos and you wanted to kind of wipe the slate clean. For sure. For sure. That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And I think that you, and also when you did that, were you also thinking that acting was something you wanted to put on the back shelf as well for a while? A hundred percent. Wow. I mean, it was, you know, acting consists of putting on roles, uh, portraying other people, and you can get kind of lost in that. And I'm not projecting onto anybody else. I'm speaking just about myself. Um, you can get kind of lost in that mentality of, being other people and, and putting on roles and characters. And I think I got so caught up in that whole world that I almost just forgot the person that I was. As cliche as that seems, I just didn't know. Every night when I came home from doing whatever it was I was doing, I would like sit down and I just wouldn't know how to act. I just didn't know the type of person that I really was anymore. And that was, that was a really scary thing for me to deal with and I dealt with that for like a while man yeah that can that can do your head in because you're sort of like um you know it all it, it makes me think that people who do really let, let's take David Bowie for example like Bowie had all these personas that that literally had nothing to do with him as a person mm-hmm. and I almost feel that the wilder the wilder the array of personas the easier it is to locate yourself or keep yourself protected Absolutely. I think there's always a fragment of yourself in each character that you portray. I think it's almost impossible to make that not so unless, you know, you have a serious disorder. Um, but but it's, it can just be the slightest little sliver of something. Like, it can get so, and it could be bigger when you start it off. Right. And then it just as time goes on, as you get more and more into the character, it just gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. Mm. I, you know, I struggled with that myself when I first started teaching and I still have moments where I feel this way. Um, You know, I'm on a college campus. I started at 27. I was became a professor and I young. Right. And so um, and I and I I created this sort of character because I couldn't, I couldn't be just the guy that I am, you know, it's not, you can't do that. Um, and then when students would come to see me, like in my office, or if I would see them in the store, I didn't know how to locate that character. And so it was sort of like caught in, it was like the fly where I was sort of like in between the Jeff Goldblum character and the weird thing that's morphing in the machine. And I felt very in between and utterly lost. Um, and, and I realized that, I mean, it's still sometimes challenging. Um, to sort of lo- you know locate that that persona, but um, it's an interesting thing you're talking about because it can really get in your head of like, well, then who who actually am I? Just out of curiosity, you know. Yeah. 
it and like and and not only that aspect of not knowing who you are but also being afraid to give up everything you're doing because you're afraid to lose all of your creativity exactly like, sounds like both you and i are 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 very like loving of our creativity and when you hold it in your arms like that like it's a baby you're so afraid to change the dynamic that you approach your day with. You're afraid to change the way you interact with other people. You're afraid to like, you know, just day to day. I mean, I mean, you try and, and you try and at least for me, I try and recreate, you know, things that I feel sparked creativity. And sometimes those things aren't necessarily good for me. Actually, in most cases, those things aren't necessarily good for me. Um, like, like I have for some reason in my head and I still have it in my head. Um, when I'm, when I really want to write deep, meaningful, broken lyrics for a song, I'll smoke a ton of cigarettes. I'll like, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just start smoking cigarettes and you know what? It works. <laughs> but, but, but like the only reason it works is because I'm convincing myself that it works, you know? Like you don't have to, and, and you don't have to break yourself down by trying to follow these things because you think those are the reasons you have what you were either born with or grew to, to have your creativity. And like, and that's why, that's why I fear for so many people who are battling with addiction and stuff like that, like creatives who are battling with addiction and stuff like that, just because it's like, it's so hard to give it up because you don't want to lose that one thing that like makes your heart pound. You know? Right. Right. And there's also an old theory that through a kind of debasement, you can find your true creative self, mm. you know, smoking a ton of cigarettes, drinking a lot. Um, you know, like Jack Kerouac, when he was, when he was, he was drinking a ton and writing these sort of crazy um, stream of consciousness things where I think he almost lost. I think he did actually lose control of it. Because that, that is what you, and we've seen that throughout music and throughout art, um, where that debasement can get completely out of control. Um, but for you as, I mean, it sounds like you grew up in a very creative house. Your brother is an opera singer, your sister is your manager, um, you're an, a young actor, um, you know, there's a guitar and a trumpet behind you right now. I mean, it sounds to me like your parents were very supportive of the arts, which is, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a household that didn't pursue art as career, but rather played music and, and acted because just for the love of it, uh, which, which I think is, is something that I, I take for granted still. Um, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, my father was a very hardworking middle-class man, um, woke up every single day at 4 a.m., to go and work on construction sites in New York city and then got back home at nine at night to still have a smile on his face. And he was like a great dad. And my mom like stayed at home and broke her back to take care of all of us and drove me into the city for, for like my acting auditions and everything like that my whole entire life, but still somehow found a way to let art be a light in their life. Like my dad, after work, he'd come home nine o'clock. He would have his moment where he'd sit down with his guitar and he's a very mediocre guitar player, but I love him. Um, right. 
just, <laughs> you just pick up his six string, sit down and just start playing music for no reason other than to just do it, man. Not for anybody, not for any reason other than to just like chill. And that, that's like, that's so cool. I don't feel like enough people do that. I feel like everybody thinks like, all right, let me pick up this guitar, get really good at it so that I can like show off to other people or like make money or like pursue it as a career. And, and yeah, I'm one of them and I'm not knocking that. That's a beautiful thing to do to try and share your gift with the world. But like, sometimes you just got to sit down in your room alone, pick up a guitar and play it. That's how you love it. You know? Right. Like you were saying with your dad, there's no agenda. He just wanted to play his guitar. Exactly. That's all he wanted to do. And that like, that's just for the love of it. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if that sort of, that is, if you have that, then that is foundational and anything else. So like when you were talking about when you were, when you were pursuing something a little more poppy um, and you felt it was, that is the exact opposite probably of what the organic approach, which you're now taking is what it sounds like to me. And I also have to say, I got to sort of tip my hand to you, um, tip my hat to you because that to be to recognize that you were going somewhere you didn't want to be and you needed to sort of break it down to rebuild it is something some people don't ever figure out and then they look back and go oh boy yeah. <laughs> 30 years of that um but for you you were like you know 30 30 days of that or whatever it was i, I don't know but it was enough mm-hmm. and and now you've stripped it back and you have this sort of and we've seen this there, there are cases of this that have been very successful indeed um, but your self-recognition that you that you noticed that um, was was ama- is amazing to me that you that you were able to recognize it and make that change. Thanks, man. I I, I will say it wasn't. I can't take all credit for it um, because I have a lot of people in my life that care very deeply for me and kind of saw the signs. Um, and I've never been one to you know ignore the people in my life, so. I've always listened to them, but, but it was definitely, it wasn't the easiest, it wasn't the easiest choice to make. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I think anytime you burn it down, uh, you, you have to sort of like burn the field to get new growth. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so is your, has your brother been helpful to you in terms of your vocal? Cause what I love about your voice is there's a, there's a, there's a soulful, finesse to the way you sang and there's also a real um power to it and did your brother at all help you in terms of finding that voice or at least locating the power um how how influential was he yeah i mean he never he never offered to sing with me um or or gave me lessons or anything like that but i think my family is one of the most competitive natured family <laughs> I have ever met in my entire life. Every single one of us wants to win at whatever we're doing if we are doing it together. Um, so to say he didn't you know, help me would be a lie because every time I did a vocal lesson, I, you know, I, I wanna be better than him. And, and that's fair, I think, you know, because sibling competitive nature is healthy. I believe. Yeah. And like, I just wanted, I just wanted to be as good as him. Let's say that I wanted to be as good as him at least. 
Um, so he pushed me for sure without saying anything to me or without doing anything with me. He certainly pushed me. That's for sure. And so does like, you know, my sister pushes me to be smarter business wise. Um, and also to like make conscious choices to better my career each and every day, rather than just kind of allowing some days to just fly by the wayside. Well, I don't know why I mind seeing you wash up on my sunken shoreline. A shadow to cast the time with a stick in the sand to write this just doesn't feel right. Well, it's my island that you're standing on, and you're not welcome here. All these trees and seeds, they're screaming now You're not welcome here You gotta burn to your back all day You hack at the leaves to leave a brand new pathway But the soil won't breathe for you Though you try and try the seeds, they just won't bear your fruit. It's Cause it's my island that you're planting on, and you're not welcome here. All my trees and seeds, they're screaming now. No, you're not welcome here. You're gonna find one day Trudging the rocks of the base To find the heart of me A woman engraved in stone Centered inside of the room Of what you hope to call your home You're hacking away at her bones You're trying to turn yourself Into that same old stone she crumbles away to dust And you lie in your back in a place And become one of us Well, it's alright now Yes, of course you're welcome here We can lie on our backs And watch the planes go by they disappear well, I know you're tired We can hear it all But let this one thing in your head
when you discovered that new voice, when you discovered the power um, and that sort of, um, after the field burned and you built it back up and here you are, um, did you find that that new instrument uh, made you write different words? Because now you can say things in, in totally different ways, the phrasing, um, the tonality of your voice makes you almost expands your vo your vocabulary. Did you did you find that in your songs as well? A hundred percent. It's it's a weird combo, I I think because when I was writing back then, before I you know like the analogy we're saying is burnt the field down. What I was writing back then was super dark, but not not connected. It was just dark for no reason other than to just be dark, you know. Once I burnt it all down and, and built this new, this new voice for myself, this new sound, and kind of allowed myself to get rooted again, the, the darkness wasn't gone. And you'll, and you'll be able to tell that in the music that I still make. There's still darkness in there. It's just, it's just like a truthful darkness. I think it's, it's a rooted darkness. It touches a lot about nature and the world around us. And it's not for no reason. It's to express myself and the way that I'm feeling. And I'm good, you know. I'm not like I'm not I'm not in a bad place. I'm good. It's just the way that I guess my bones creak. Like if I take I so I always tell my students because I teach freshman writing and you know college writing, and mm -hmm. they come in and they have these topics they're going to write about, and they think that in four pages. They have to have a, an answer, right? And I'm like, look, the word essay just is, is in French just means attempt, right? Like you don't have to come up with anything. So I don't assign topics like the death penalty and you I don't do that stuff at all. But I'm like, even if you did have to write about world hunger, which you would never do in my class, you couldn't solve that in four pages. Like you don't have to have an opinion at all. Um, and I love like what's in the cards for me is like, I love that because there's no answer. Absolutely. Yeah. There is no, there's no, no answer. The whole entire time is asking for an answer. It was never like, there's never an answer at the end. And that's, I mean, that's hard. That's our lives, right? Right. I mean, you're saying it like essays, attempt, like there's no fucking answer. We don't know what's going on. I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion and I respect everybody's opinion. Truthfully, I do. I think religion is a beautiful thing. Um, I think people having a devout belief is a beautiful thing. Um, and, and the more the merrier, honestly, like if, if, if you can find a way to make yourself happy in the life that we're living, if you can find a way to like bring yourself joy, that's beautiful. But to say, you know, is, you know, to be ignorant to the fact that like, well, first of all, it's to be ignorant to the rest of the population and the people who think they know or believe and two it's like you don't <laughs> you don't know yeah. i mean so what's in the cards is like and by the way is there there's no question mark in the title right uh no right question mark in the title. okay so i love that because you know, we're, we're getting super inside baseball with uh with punctuation here but i love that because it's instead of saying it, it operates on a couple different levels but one I love because it's sort of like saying what's in the cards meaning like whatever it is we'll we're gonna find out right mm -hmm. 
Like it's just going to show up. So something is in the cards. And then the double meaning is also like just the wondering aspect of it. I love that you omitted that question mark because it's sort of like, well, there is something that will happen. We don't know what that is. Let's just, let's just find out. And I think as human beings, you know, we run around wondering, uh, when are we going to die? What's going to happen? Right. And sometimes the answer is that there is no answer. You just have to wait. Yeah. And, and we're not very patient. No. <laughs> not inherently a patient being. Um, but that's cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked that. I, that, that wasn't intentional. Um, but that's really cool that, you know, you saw that and you kind of got that out of it. I mean, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I think that's awesome. I love the song too. And I love the idea that, cause for me, what really screwed me up, here's what screwed me up with girls is that every time I would start a relationship, which is what what's in the cards is really all about. Right. I would start one in my brain. I would go, I'm not going to marry this girl. I'm not, I can't even see this going a year. Oh. Um, Right. So then in my brain, I'm like, I'm already checking out of it, but it's like, maybe you should just enjoy it for whatever it might be. And maybe you either will change your mind or maybe you won't, or maybe she won't like you. Like you don't have to answer those questions in the first four hours. Yeah. Seriously, man, that is literally the same exact thing runs through my mind. Every time I enter a relationship, I think so far into the future and it's like, so against what I want to be doing. Right. That is the last thing that I want to be doing is thinking about the things that are constantly taking up my mental space. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's the way things go. It's just the way my mind works. And I think what's in the cards for sure kind of expresses that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine who's a therapist said to me, look, buddy, she's not thinking she's going to marry you either. Like she's where you are too. You're yeah. both in that sort of feeling it out stage where, I mean, I can think of a lot of albums, Dylan and I listened to where I was like, nah, and I listened to it 10 more times. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Hang on a minute. Yeah, <laughs> That's actually fucking awesome. And I missed that the first 10 times. With a relationship, sometimes the first two or three months, you might just go, yeah, it's okay. And then month four, your head explodes. Boom. Boom. Little things, you know? All of a sudden, like, like you woke up and there was breakfast in front of you and you were like, oh, shit, I, wow, th this exists. You're like, or like, or like you're going to bed and she's like, you know, running her hands through your hair and you've never had anybody run their hands through your hair while you're going to sleep. And this is in like month six. And you're like, oh my God, right. this is amazing. It's like things just pop up and, and, and the reason they just pop up so far into it is like you said, you know? I think the same thing runs through most people's heads when they enter relationships. They overthink it rather than just letting it be. And that's fair. That's just the way we work. But then you get deep into it. You stop overthinking it. You kind of just let it be. And the really special moments start popping up. Yeah, like I, I totally agree with you. One time I, I had a girlfriend. We were together maybe three months. And I was sort of like, nah, not so sure about this, right? Mm -hmm. And we... We're walking down the street. I'm here in Berkeley. I'm in Berkeley, California. We're walking down the street and there was a stray dog. And she just immediately was all over that dog. Like, we got to do something. And the way she was so tender with the dog and like, we need to, whatever we were going to do, we're not doing it anymore. We got to take care of this dog. I was like, I think I'm just fell in love with this girl. Yeah. 
I didn't know that she was like that. We never had a stray dog walk by us before. Um, and so it makes me think also that, you know, your song made me think that like, this is why dating apps are really bad because you kind of look at pictures and go, no, yes, no, yes. And that really trains that part of our brain that is so judgmental and so wanting to know what's in the cards when in fact we need to cut that shit out and let yeah. things just happen. It makes us, I mean, it makes us think we know, you know, right. it gives us such definitive answers that there's no ambiguity to any of it. It's like, it's either a yes or it's a no. And if it's a yes and a yes, then boom, you're good. If it's a no, then no. But it's like, it's not the way it works. You know, some people spend, I'm going to use this word. It's a very weird word, but like some people spend, you know, months courting somebody. And it's like, they really put a lot of effort into it. And the person who is being courted might not be into it right away. But then, you know, as time goes on, they see the inside of the person and they start to fall in love. I mean there's a difference between love and lust. And I think the way, just because you brought up dating apps, the way dating apps work are, are 100% based in lust. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly, exactly. And I also think to be fair, is that sometimes if you meet somebody, I'm sure this has happened to you, where you meet them and you go, this is the person I'm gonna marry. And guess what? They weren't, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, that, and that probably, like I, I remember, this is a, a terrible analogy, but when you're a kid, you put a piece of bubble gum in your mouth and you go, I want to eat this all the time. And then 40 seconds later, the flavor is gone and you're spitting it out, right? Or your jaw is absolutely exhausted. You're done. You're done. The bubble gum has worn you out. And I think that a bubble gum feeling of the heart will wear out quickly too. Absolutely. You know? I, th I think, I think. I think it's a very immature view to, to say that, I don't want to say it's very immature. I think it's just rom romanticized to say that like, love is amazing. You're going to like know exactly what it is. And it's like, it's just, you're going to know when you know. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I've always imagined that to be a thing. And like, it sounds amazing, but love is hard, man. And it's like, it's gritty. and you're going to get into arguments and fights and somebody's going to screw up. It's just going to happen. And then <laughs> figure out how to solve the problem. And it's just like everything else, you know, there's like, you can't, you can't create a fantasy in a reality. And like, and I feel like we've based so much of the things we say about love and the movies we make about love and like just pop culture on love is like based so much in a fantasy realm and it's it's scary i mean it's scary for me i don't know it's like i mean it's just a scary thing it is scary it's terrifying and i also think that we romanticize romance and and that's that's even more dangerous you yeah. know um but but romance to me is just like art you have to put the work in uh, to make it happen. You know, you, you didn't just write what's in the cards and, and there it was, boom, you worked on it, you know? Yeah. Um, like I, I was, I'm looking at the instruments behind you. You seem like a guy, like you work on your craft. And I think life is, is like that, where um, whatever it is that you do, you have to put the time into it for it to really yield a positive, enduring result. Yeah, 100%. And, and some, in, some cases you don't even realize that you're putting the work into it, you know? Right. Uh, I think often 
a lot of people stop themselves from doing things and that stops themselves from working on it. But if you just kind of let yourself go and do things like, yes, what's in the cards I've worked on, but the reason what's in the cards is a song and, and what I consider putting work into it is allowing myself to bloom in the relationship that it's about, whether it's specifically about a, a person or a relationship or whether it's just something that sparked into my head and I, and I let the idea, you know, fester its way into my brain for more than five minutes. You know, it's, there's a good, there's, it's, it's good to focus on working on your craft, but it's, I, I feel it's detrimental to um, make yourself worry if you're making progress. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, for sure. I work on it a lot and, and most of it comes from like day to day, allowing myself to be open and experience like opening my mind's eye, you know, opening my heart up to the world and just being conscious of doing those things and not making fun of it, but not over exaggerating it and being like, everybody needs to do this or else we're all going to, you know, be dramatic and die. Just like consciously just be like, the idea of opening my mind's eye and the idea of opening my heart to the world and that in and of itself is just going to make things, you know, happen. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that's the best place to be in terms of creative space where I think that the, the work starts to flow when you, when you reach that place, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I think, I think all, I think all creatives do that, whether they know it or not. Um, or whether they consciously do it or not. I think there's just like, you know, you sit down with a pen and pad and you tell yourself you're going to do it, or you don't even tell yourself you're going to do it. You just sit down with a pen and pad and start writing. You're open. You're opening up. Yeah. You know? It's as unconscious as breathing. I mean, it's literally just something you do. Yeah. Um, which, I, which I think is, is so cool when you can access that space and allow yourself to access that space. How much for you... Uh, there's such a rich musical lineage to your home state. How tuned in and clued in are you to that sort of musical DNA of New Jersey? I'm, I'm very proud of New Jersey. I think it gets a bad rep, um, but I think it gets a bad rep because people are jealous, you know? Mm. Um, we, got, we got that blue collar mentality, I think. Uh, you know, middle-class Italian, Irish kind of vibe of we got to work for what we want. Um, and a lot of the art that comes out of here, I think, displays that. Uh, you know, perfect example is Bruce Springsteen. I mean, even in his Broadway show, he says that he just wrote stories. He didn't actually ever have to do any of the things he wrote about. But the reason he wrote about them was because, one, he was in touch with where he was coming from. And two, everybody around him was, you know, it's, it's just the way, I think it's the way we work over here. We just do. Yeah. And I, I grew up listening to Springsteen and like the Smithereens, um, you know, just New Jersey rock bands. There's so many more um, that I can't even think of. There's, there's so many. And I do know what you mean about that sort of that working class kind of drive um, it's almost it's in the backbeat of the songs exactly it's totally in the backbeat you like they don't even need to be singing about it you just know yeah just yeah or Southside Johnny or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, list, the list goes on 
Um, you feel it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think there's something really, there's a lot of pride in that too. Um, and you can hear it. You can just hear it in the music, which I think is so awesome. Um, when you talk about your, as you've sort of found this new organic self that's, that's creating and, and writing, um, do you, at what point do you really trust it? Where you kind of go, oh yeah, this feels really good. Like I can build on this. Did, did that feel pretty natural for you fairly early on? Or did it take you a couple of tries to go, oh, this, this is like a skin I feel good in? Uh, it took me a couple of tries. It definitely took me a couple of tries. I, I, you know, I don't even know if I'm, I'm in the right skin still. I mean, I feel like I am and I like where I'm at. Um, but it definitely took me a couple of tries. If I were speaking to people who desire to be creatives, um, I, I think I would say like, allow yourself to express in the moments that you feel, don't feel like you have to express in the moments that you felt. Um, because we're constantly adapting. Everything is changing. The world is changing around us while we're changing and everybody that we love is changing. And it's like to convince yourself that you have to abide by what you were or, or what you stood for. It's, I mean, it's just allowing I guess kind of the negatives of the world to affect your creativity rather than allowing yourself to blossom into the never ending flower that you're going to continue blooming, you know, right. there's never like, I, at least for me, there's never going to be a finished product of me. Like I'm never going to, I'm never going to fully blossom. I think, I think new things are going to keep happening and my sound is going to keep changing and I'm going to move with my times, not the times and just kind of keep molting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, and you all you can do is try to make those colors as bright as you can. They're exactly. never going to be finished. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of a finished product, your, your, um, your albums in the can, right. It's done. Done. Boom. Done. Yep. Out in the, in September. Uh, it's so with this whole situation that we have going on right now, we're kind of thinking of ways to maybe maybe adapt the release plan. Um, just because you know I, I want it to get as much credit as I believe it deserves, and and a lot of people put in a lot of work onto this thing, not even considering myself like everybody that created parts for it and produced it and is pushing for it to get to as many ears as possible. I think it, I think it deserves that and they deserve that and everybody that put work on it. So we're just kind of trying to, to figure out how to adapt so that it gets as much credit as it deserves. Are you, I mean, the album is done. Are you now already thinking about new songs? Are you writing? Are you, I imagine you are. Dude, I got a second album already. I got a second album already written. I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got a second album written and then I got like like six songs that I'm shopping around to a couple like publishing companies that aren't on genre for me. They're like completely different genres that I'm hoping to like pitch to popular artists and see, you know, what they're doing. I mean, I'm I'm always writing whether I'm saying that I'm in a creative headspace during this situation or not. I'm always just continuing to write whether it's good or bad. 
So there's there's just songs out the wazoo at this point. That's awesome. So you're on you're on fire. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And what about acting? Will will you come back to it? Do you feel? Do you miss it? Do you? Is that something that you're back in? I do. I miss it. Um, I've, I've been professionally in the business ever since I was a little kid, and I think that dimmed my light for it. Uh, but you know, recently I've been messing around with camera shots and I made a short film with my buddies, uh, who are professional filmmakers. So it wasn't like a buddy short film. It was like a professional short film and, and, you know, they allowed me to be in it. Um, so I miss it and I love it. I think it's a beautiful art form. I think yeah. it's so cool to put on a character. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to get back into it at some point. It's just tough for me because splitting up for me, for me, it feels like splitting up kind of if I, if I try and do acting at the same time I do music, I'm giving 50% of my mental energy to acting and 50% of my mental energy to music. And, and at the stage I'm at, I feel like I want to be more productive than that with one specific thing. So I'm just going to give a hundred percent of my mental energy to music. Well, look, man, I can't wait for everyone to hear this album, uh, this fall. And uh, I really appreciate you sitting down and uh, going deep with me. Yeah, Alex, man, of course, dude. I'm glad I, I'm glad I just made another friend. You did. You did. You got a friend here in the Bay Area. And do stay in touch. And um, I'm excited for the album. Congratulations on everything, man. Thanks a lot, dude. Well, there you go. A powerful new voice in music, Dylan Hartigan. Go to his website, dylanhartigan.com. That's Hartigan with a T, H-A-R-T-I-G-A-N, and uh, find out more about him. He is a very cool guy, an immensely talented musician, and uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about Dylan Hartigan for many years to come. Uh, go to my website, alexgreenonline.com, and find out about me. Uh, as if I don't talk about myself enough. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about these days. My new book is going to be out in June. It's called Malroe and the Midnight Organ Fight. You can pre-order it anywhere. Uh, do it through your indie bookseller uh, if you can. And uh, if you can't, well, I understand the whole drone pancake combo. There is an appeal to that, but try to go indie if you can. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Please go to the one that you feel most comfortable with and subscribe. Leave us a nice rating and a comment and tell all your friends. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor, or you can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast, or, you know, if you're an old-fashioned kind of person, uh, feel free to email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Well, now that we've talked about what's in the cards, uh, maybe this conversation will bring new meaning to the song itself. Maybe it will expand uh, the scope of what Dylan's talking about and uh, bring new insight for you as a listener. Let's give it a full spin, shall we? It's Dylan Hardigan, What's in the Cards. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.
Watching cars, darling Could it be me and you? If it's not, then I'm caught in the cosmic slot That never wants to pull through Watching the cars, darling Is it my fault we're through? If it is, then the bliss is a cosmic slide That's pulling me away from you And all my feelings, they feel insecure I'll be alright Yes, I'll get it right I just need time to heal mm. Watching the cars, though I don't want to start a new Yes, I'm lost in the cost Is a cosmic slide that's melting me down to do Watching the cars, though Movie that you always knew If you don't, then I'm hoping the cosmic slide Can bring me on back to you And all my feelings, they feel insecure You've devoured my burn When you're walking on out my door Don't forget to turn your heat I'll be alright So get it right I just need time to heal mm. What's in the car is Worried that you always know Yes, I'm lost in the dust of a cosmic slide It's pulling me away from you Whoa. 